Hello and welcome to another episode of What Do You Call It podcast. I'm your host, GB. Today's guest is a legend of pro wrestling. He's appeared in Pro Wrestling Noah, CWA, FWA, TNA, WXW, Unlimited Wrestling, and WWE. There's actually a few companies I probably left out. He's also an actor, coach, and was everybody's favorite messenger once upon a time. Please welcome yeah. Joey Legend. Hey, Dinsday, mate, you're good? <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Awesome, awesome. I'm uh, very happy to have you on. Been wanting to have this uh, interview with you for a while, and I'm glad that we've been able to make it happen. Also, uh, shout out to Champagne Charlie, friend of the show, who made this happen. Yeah, thanks, so, Chuck. He's a good lad, good lad. So, yeah, we want clocks. The clip that popped up in the wrestling community was a young Joey Legend uh, alongside yeah. Edge. You're asking yeah. then WWF champion Bret Hart how to get signed to WWF in 92, 93 on a talk show. Looking back on that clip and what you've achieved in your wrestling uh, career with all your achievements, how did it make you feel seeing that clip? I felt that my, uh, well, both of our mullets were hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) We looked ridiculous, but I mean, at the time, I guess we thought we were cool. Um, Well, it it was called the Deanie Petty Show, and they filmed it only about, I don't know, 15 minutes from my house. It's probably an hour's drive for uh, Adam. But I heard Brett was going to be on the show, so I called Adam and said, yeah, you want to go see it? And he's like, yeah. So we shot in to see it. And then before the show, they had people going around in the audience like, you know, is there anybody who wants to ask an interesting question? Da, 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 da. And then Adam was kind of like, yeah, you know, we're wrestlers and we want to ask him about, you know, how to make more money doing it. And like, oh, we got wrestlers here. Great. So we, they just kind of front of the front of the line for us. So we got to, you know, everybody said I look really angry there. I don't think I look angry. I think I look interested. I, I don't think they no. Everybody thought I looked like I was pissed off. Like I was going to jump Brett or something. You're going to challenge Brett Hart there and there. Yeah, I just jump over this crowd. Like, Brett screwed Brett. Just start throwing. Coming for you. I can't do that. Uh, wrestlers in training here, huh? By the by, the sheer size of you two, you want to be a wrestler? Yeah, I've been to Japan a couple times. Oh, okay. So you're a wrestler. Yeah. You uh, want to, you want to end up in WWF here? Yeah, I was going to ask. Um, I've only been working about a year, but. How long do you figure I should go before I start approaching either WWF or Turner's group? Um, well, first thing I do if you're, you know, if you want to get into wrestling, you got to get more matches. You got to get on TV would be a good. Just about anywhere you can get on television, it's got to be an asset. We've been on TV around here, but we we're just wondering like how we should go about it. And we work out at Tiki's gym, so if you ever want to stop by, there's a little plug there. <laughs> <laughs> When you want to get into the WWF, do you have to go and audition for them and meet them? I mean, how did you get in? You have to have some experience, and then, uh, which is very hard to get nowadays. It's the same with everything. And they can get you on television and give you sort of a tryout, but that's that's about it. How did they find you? Well, see, I've come from a different era where there was like a lot of uh, little places that you could go and learn. One of which was my my uh, father's part of Western Canada. Right. So I had a special kind of uh, in there, and I wrestled in Western Canada for for so long that. When I went to the States, I was pretty experienced. So just keep doing all the matches you can get wherever you can get them? And... Yeah, it's, about, it's a really hard thing to answer. It's, I, I really not the best person to ask anymore because I've lost touch with that kind of... Uh, with the roots of it. Thing. Yeah, I'm on the other side. <laughs> Have you been into Brett, by the way, since that talk show? Oh, yeah, yeah, lots. I toured, um, shoot, I toured Australia and New Zealand with him. 
uh, when I was working for this company in Japan, they had a like a handshake agreement with Stampede. Mm-hmm. So I had to fly out and do a gig for Stampede just so they could get footage for the video wall for Japan. Oh, okay. And Brett was there. He came into the gym, worked out with us. And then WWE, now I guess I'm used to calling them WWF. Uh, they did a show here. I've been in Hanover, Germany. And yeah. they did a show here. Drew flies. It was terrible. He only drew a couple thousand people in an arena that holds 14,000, 12, 14,000. Only mm-hmm. like 2,000 in or so. Main event was, uh, oh, shoot. Edge, Jericho, and oh, there's a big amateur kid. I can't remember his name. He was champ. Jack Swagger. Swagger, that's the one, yeah. Yeah. So they did the triple threat main event, and it was a good match. Like, the whole show was pretty good. I ended up hanging it with um, with Morrison most of the evening. He's a great guy. He's right. so cool, right? But, um, yeah, we, we hung out uh, there, and, and Adam and I kind of reminisced about – the, the days gone by and yeah. stuff, and the Dini Pini show Bug and line. stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Brett was there, and then a volcano went off in Iceland. Yeah. And grounded all the flights. The, the whole WWE team had to take a like a ferry boat to Ireland to continue tour, but Brett was supposed to go home, and he was stuck here for a week. So I just I hung up with him. Every day at around 2 o'clock, I'd get a phone call. Hey, Joe, what you doing? I'm like, I'm just hanging out. You want to go do something bored? And then we go and wander around and have dinner and went to the movies and stuff. So, yeah, what kind of became eh, pals with him, I'd say. I was pally yeah. with him. I mean, as a fan, I would just pick his brain, to be honest. I think he's probably why, maybe other than Shawn Michaels, I know Brett would like that, but he's probably not my favorite wrestler. So just for you to, you know, listen to his stories, like war stories. Yeah. Well, my lawyer, who's really one of my only friends in town, he was a big Bret Hart fan as a kid. Mm-hmm. So when we were going to the movies... We'd usually meet for a pizza and then go see a movie. So I told him, I said, listen, buddy, can you grab three tickets? When you grab the tickets, grab three, and we'll meet you at the pizza, and I'll give you the money for it. He goes, why? I said, i got a buddy coming with me. He goes, who? I said, well, don't tell your friends, but I don't want to get swarmed here. Yeah. But it's pretty hard. He was like, shut up. I'm like, I'm telling you, Brett's here. <laughs> he goes, no, he's not. Shut up. I'm like, just buy three. If Even if the seat's empty, I will give you the money for it. Just shut up. So... Brett and I are sitting there, and then Brett's like, ah, I got to go to the bathroom. So he wanders away. Just as he goes to the bathroom, my buddy comes up the stairs. Yeah, I thought you said Brett was here. I'm like, I'm telling you, he's here. He's in the bathroom. He goes, well, I'm going to go buy the tickets. You just wait here. And then just as he goes down the stairs, Brett comes out of the bathroom. It was like a comedy show. Yeah. <laughs> he finally came up with the tickets, and he was like, wait a second. He saw the back of Brett. Said, what the hell? And then he came over and just played the Mark card. He was, oh, <laughs> was, the evening. He was trying so hard not to be a Mark, but he said, they go, so yeah, uh, WrestleMania is pretty cool, huh? You know, <laughs> trying really hard. Just bless his heart. He didn't want to be a, a pest. Um, and then by the end of the evening, he said, yeah, I just got to play the mark card. I need a photo. And so they I took a picture. And then like five minutes later on Facebook, he's got a, a picture of him and Brett. You know, just me having dinner and going to lose my good friend, Brett. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, so it was funny. Uh, and Brett funny. had it. I showed it to Brett. He laughed. That's wicked, man. That's wicked. I, I love Brett, man. Just, I'm happy. You know, he's just... Even like people like CM Punk and FTR, they're still like doing tributes to him to this day, even yeah. though he's not actually affiliated with AEW. Just people love him, you know, for you to yeah, sort of, um, have a definite impact on the job. Definitely. Um, you made a name for yourself on the Canadian independent scene, uh, teaming up with someone just mentioned, you know, Edge, uh, Christian, and Rhino. If you had to yeah. describe Canadian wrestling scene during that time period, so what were your first impressions um, of Edge, Christian, and Rhino? Well, 
I started trading before then. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd been trading for about a year and a half when Adam started. And then he was only there briefly. And then I was off to Japan for uh, FMW. So we hung up with this guy, Keith. He's a great guy. Mm-hmm. And so while I was in Japan, I called home. Hey, what's going on? He goes, oh, you got to hang with this Adam guy. He's a great guy. So by the time I came back, we were already kind of buddies, even though we'd only, there's the first time hanging out, but it felt like we were buddies for years, you know? Mm-hmm. So that caught on great. And Jay was always hanging around. Christian was always hanging around, but he was another year away from training. Adam won a contest to get his training done. Jay had to save up his money. I think he, if I'm not mistaken, he got a student loan and then used that to pay for his wrestling school and not for college. He did pay it back though. Credit to yeah. him. He's honest guy that way. And then I was bringing them out. Cause I, I had a kind of an open door with Winnipeg and Tony Candelo, Don Callis's promotion out there. Tony Candelo's promotion. Don was like the booker. So I, we go out there a lot and I'm, you know, they said, Oh, do you got any guys? Yeah. I got edgy Christian. Well, Adam and Jay and uh, Zach wild and Johnny Swinger. And we all go out to Winnipeg. And then when we come back, we try to do stuff in Ontario, but Ontario was so heavily regulated that there was almost no wrestling. Because if it was a town under 100,000 people, I think it cost you like something like 10 or 12 grand to run a show with all the you know fees and mm. things you had to give the government. And then if it was more than 100,000, it was like 15 or 16 grand. Like you, you couldn't turn a profit, so nobody ran. Yeah. So we had to find our workings elsewhere. So a lot of it was going out to uh, to Winnipeg. We went out to Winnipeg a great deal. We picked up indie bookings where we could in Ontario, but most time we shoot down to uh, Detroit. And that's where we met Rhino. Yeah. So, yeah, they ended up kind of throwing us together with our manager, handsome Johnny Bradford. I got to give a shout out. Wrestling's only death manager and a sweetheart of a guy. Wonderful human being. So he was our manager and we came up with this. Uh, they wanted to do because the, the New World Order hit big. So the promoter, Malcolm Monroe, God rest his soul, he wanted to do the Canadian world order and like have Canada versus America. I was like, Canadian world order. It's kind of a budget name, right? Like I get the idea of the angle. Yeah, yeah. But the name's pretty budget. So we're trying to come up with something. And uh, we started doing the pro-Canada, anti-America thing. We burnt the American flag in the ring, got into fist fights to fight back to the locker room with the crowd. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And... Um, we got through all that, and then like three weeks after we got the real Canada versus America heat off the ground, Brett started doing it in WWF and made ours look cheap, oh. which you kind of was. Watch so, it there, man. <laughs> well, it did. To, I mean, to our credit, we were about 15 minutes ahead of the curve, but I can probably say we were a little bit ahead of the curve at the time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we didn't get a lot done in Ontario. We did what we could, but there just wasn't much happening. Scott Demore would run, but even then, like, it was a hell of a journey, and the payoffs weren't great because he had to cover his expenses. So people weren't running all that much. Um, then when we brought Rhino out to Winnipeg with us, we were kind of this. We were we were known as the Ontario Winnipeg guys. We were out in Winnipeg all the time. Every couple of months, we were out in Winnipeg. The Rhino came out, and then Don Callis knew some guys in Germany, mm-hmm. and they were looking for a heavyweight to come in and do a championship with Franz Schumann, and he put Rhino up for it. Rhino came over, did great. They kept him for the rest of the tour. The next year, I got finished working for Rene Dupree's dad out in Eastern Canada. I got home. I was only home like maybe an hour. And uh, I get a phone call from Rhino. I was like, bro, you want to go to Germany? I'm like, hey. He says, yeah, um, 
one of the guys has some legal problems. They took his passport. He's got to handle those legal problems. So they're looking for a guy. I recommended you. You want to go? I'm like, all right, when? He goes, next week. Like, all right, for how long? Six weeks. Re- um, okay. Yeah. So that's what that's what kickstarted me over to Germany. So we were doing the Thug Life thing, which is the, what we named our Canadian World Order. Right name, by the way. I love Great. it. <laughs> and then we were, yeah. And then we were kind of funneling through. I was going to, to Germany for extended periods. And then I was doing more in Canada. We go down to the States, do New York State, go down to Pennsylvania, uh, Massachusetts, things like that. But it all had to be upper states because those were the ones running. So it was particularly hard for us in the day. Now they've deregulated. So there's there's almost too many promotions. So a lot of guys who shouldn't be running are. Whereas before, a lot of guys who should have been able to run couldn't. Yeah. So you know, there's, there's good and bad on both sides of it. The reverse is that difficult, to be honest. I kind of, uh, I mean, I'm not saying it was like it was a walk in the park. But I didn't mean no, no, no. a lot of roadblocks to this uh, journey, you know, that you would go yeah. on your wrestling career. But our benefit was we had the WWE's uh, Canadian office in Toronto. Yeah. And Carl DeMarco ran it. So that Carl came out to a show and saw Adam and I tag team, and he really liked Adam. Mm-hmm. So that he ended up bringing us all in for meeting and stuff like that. And he got Adam kickstarted into the, into like, uh, I think they flew him down to Connecticut to do a training camp once. Him, Tiger Alley, Singh, a few other guys. And if you, I think most of them got signed at that point. But I don't know if that would have happened if we weren't in an area where Carl DeMarco would have, was. Yeah. So, you know, we were just fortuitous that way. Even though Ontario was, you know, kind of closed doors to most wrestling, the one door we had was a pretty strong door. Mm-hmm. I just want to touch on Germany. Uh, the reason for that is just I actually want to ask you uh, about wrestling for... Also, Vance is CWA, and you just mentioned about teaming with Rhino. Uh, the yeah. reason I'm asking about this specifically is I feel as a promotion, it gets overlooked, um, especially like Western history. I just want to know just mm-hmm. specifically about your time there and how you found it. As I know you wasn't there for too long, but I just want to know oh, your yeah, experience. Yeah. That's all. Well, they brought me over in 98 for the, the Hanover tournament, which was six weeks. And I got over with Otto. I got over with the office. Um, so they put the tag belts on me and Rhino. And then um, I came home for three weeks, and they brought me back for five weeks in Bremen. Because mm-hmm. the way it used to work is they had the catch tents, like a big circus tent, yeah? And they give you um, a caravan, like a trailer out back, and that's where you live. Uh, so you work the same building every night for six weeks. And you don't necessarily work every night, but you paid for every night. But, you know, some nights are just, you know, the, the cart's full and you get to have a night off, which is nice because their ring is stiff. Yeah. But because I was the new guy, they put me in every night. So the, old, so the more experienced guys could take their time. And, you know, they were already over. I had to earn my freaking spot. So um, working there was just an amazing learning experience. because I didn't really know a lot about the European style. Because, um, I mean, everything in everything you watched in North America was kind of bump, 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 bump going towards the kind of it's kind of a junior dominated business now mm-hmm. right there's more flips and bumps than ever before and unfortunately there's more injuries than ever before too whereas with Otto's ring was so stiff that you just couldn't do that for six weeks straight like you wouldn't be able to walk mm. like all Otto really likes super heavyweights like Cannibal Grizzly Bruiser Mastino Ice Train who unfortunately just passed away wonderful human being all these guys are 350 360 sometimes 400 pounds they're not going to be bumping around and they got to have a strong ring to hold this up so they don't smash the ring taking bumps. So the ring was super stiff. I thought I broke my hip on a, a leg drop off the top rope one night. I actually went to the hospital to get looked at because I really thought I messed myself up. 
I didn't realize how stiff that ring was. So I learned how to work around a stiff ring, work in around um, a difficult environment as far as the ring goes, but also how to carry an angle mm-hmm. because a lot of these people had seasons tickets. So they'd be there every night, like seven days a week. So like a lot of times on the Indies, you'd have your match, like you and I would work, we'd work Monday in one city, then Tuesday we're working a hundred miles away. We could probably do the same match and nobody would know the difference. Yeah. But everybody knows when, when you're working every night in the same building. So you had to be yeah, creative. You had to be able to work it. Yeah, exactly. So you had to be a little bit more creative and a little more, I don't know, aware of what the audience was buying and what they weren't. And it was just such a great learning experience that when I got back, I worked Eastern Canada, then went to Germany, then was home for a while. Then I went back to Eastern Canada for the summer circuit. And in that time, everybody I knew told me, like, you're a different worker, Joe. Like, you were, you know, you were decent, but holy crap, like that time in Germany did you wonders. Like I just came back a completely new, more better polished worker, partially from working every day because repetition is the mother of skill. Mm-hmm. But also I think I, I learned so much of the European style that nobody in North America had seen at the time. This is kind of, I'm not going to say it predates the internet, but it predates widespread internet. Less people were on the line than are now. Yeah. And there were less videos online. Than there are they now. probably wouldn't be exposed to it like on American TV. Maybe William Regal or Finley. Maybe. But yeah, they were so unique that you'd see those guys once in a blue moon. You see them yeah. once a week. Whereas, you know, you go, you watch World of Sport and you see seven guys who work that style, eight guys yeah. who work that style, and then one big thug bruiser who kicks ass. So it was, um, it was a tremendous learning experience. And I came back with a whole bunch of stuff that was really, really old school stuff, but it looked new <laughs> to the Canadian eyes. Yeah. But it helped me immensely. And I got I got in well with a bunch of guys who were able to who had good voices in the business. So when I shopped my resume out to other promotions, I could say this guy says good things about me, this guy says good things. And they would take their word over mine because who am I at the time? Yeah, just that endorsement that you would receive as well. Uh, I will exactly. talk a little bit more on Europe, just because I know you'd actually go on to have great success there. Um it's actually my exposure to you. And uh, just Joe as well, which I will um, discuss. I won't go into too much detail, but I will. I will have to ask. Um, but just before I do ask about Just Joe, I actually want to know how did you find that that you were being signed by the WWE? Um, I was having the best summer of my life, summer '99, out for Emile Dupree. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd been for a tryout match at Skydome prior to the tour. Mm-hmm. There was um, forty-four thousand people. So it was a hell of a thing. And it, it also taught me another lesson because I used to do this thing where I send you to the ropes, I drop down to my back, and then I nip up and close on you when you ran back at me. Yeah. Always got a pop everywhere I did it. And I did it in that match. I jumped up. I thought, this is gonna, this is gonna hit the crowd. Boom, I hit this clothesline and nothing. Crickets. And I got mad at the whole I was like, you sons of bitches. Ah, that was cool. You know it. <laughs> so I start walking over to continue the match, and then I hear, whoa, and I didn't realize. The sound from the other, they did pop, but the sound went all the way up to the ceiling of the, the oh, dome. So and they then came down to me. <laughs> so it totally messed my timing up. I didn't realize, but it was a lesson learned, right? So I'd done that. They, that brought me for a tryout down in Connecticut. Then I went to Eastern Canada. Um, Was finishing up in Eastern Canada. And then I get a call. I was staying at the referee's place. Frank Parker, another guy, God rest his soul, wonderful guy. Staying at his place. And I get this call there from Christian. He says, Joe, what are you doing? I was like, well. Clearly, I'm sitting at Frank's place. What do you want? He says, you're going to get a call from Terry Taylor. I said, am I? He goes, yeah. Um, they want to start the new Freebirds, and 
uh, your name's been thrown in for it. You, they want you to be the Terry Gordy of the team. Like me? Like, it's flattering. I think Terry's an awesome worker, but yeah. like, I'm Canadian, not Southern. I don't particularly care for Southern Pride Rock. I'm more heavy metal and I don't drink. <laughs> I'm like the opposite of a freebird. I'm an anti freebird. And he goes, Well, you know, it pays money. I'm like, I'm in. <laughs> so he said, Just be ready. Terry Taylor's going to call you in the next hour. So Terry did. And we shot the breeze. He was very, very cool. I get I get on with Terry to this day. Terry's a wonderful guy. Um, and he says, well, when can you come down here? I said, well, I'm just finishing up here. He goes, can you come down here for like September 5th? I'm like, I finish here on the 4th. That's perfect. Can you fly me from here? Instead of me having to go back to Toronto, can you fly me from here to Connecticut and then fly me home after? He's like, yeah. We handle travel from time to time with the WWF. I'm like, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> they flew me down. Um, I worked with a guy named Reckless Youth who also got signed. We worked each other in a match in the training center. Terry loved it. Hmm. We had to do it in front of Michael Hayes because he was going to be our manager. It was his idea to have the new Freebirds. So we he had to clear everybody was going to be in the Freebird gimmick. And he loved us. We were going to be two of the three Freebirds. There was always a third name flying around, but they never confirmed the third guy. Hmm. There's always different names floating about. Um but they signed us that day and then sent us home and said, we're just going to get your paperwork in order. And then uh, we got a show coming up in Atlanta. We want to debut you in Atlanta because, you know, Freebirds Atlanta. Like, great. And then I sat home for seven months. Seven or eight months I sat home waiting for them to get this visa together. In that seven months, Hayes decided he didn't want to be on camera anymore and just wanted to be an agent for the tag team division. So they killed the Freebird gimmick. And then they didn't know what to do with me. I was still under contract. They were still paying me. I can't believe it. Like, that was going to be happening. Like, I didn't actually know that story. That they were going to yeah. recreate the Fabulous Freebirds. You know, one of the best yeah. tables in wrestling history. Well, originally it was supposed to be because they had... Um, remember, Hayes managed the Hardys for a cup of coffee. Yes, when they were the Brood Hardys. Yeah. And he wanted to do it with them. And he wanted to give them like... Like Hardys are very, I don't know, they don't wear Freebird type gear. No, they wear kind of different kind of jeans. And he wanted to get like the Confederate flag uh, uh, towels and rags to hang off them and headbands. And Marty or uh, Jeff and Matt were like, What? <laughs> can't do that. <laughs> yeah. And they did the right thing because what they did with them away from Mike, I mean, Mike would have been a great manager. Mm. I don't doubt that for a second. But Putting them with Lita in front of the crowd the way they did was the right move because obviously they're they're considered somewhat iconic now. Yeah. So that was the right move. But then in turn, Mike's sitting there with his dick in his hand, going, "Well, now what do I do? Like they brought me out to be a manager. I'm all ready to be a manager, and who am I going to manage?" So he wanted to do the new Freebirds, and that was going to be me. I was going to be the Gordy of the group. I was going to be Bam Bam Legend. I guess. But that's such a compliment, though, for you to be like the next Terry Gordy. Um, yeah. Well, when I met Vince, they flew me down to Connecticut to meet him. It was an all-day thing. They flew me down. I got there at like 10 in the morning. I didn't get to meet him until 7 o'clock in the evening. Hung out in Titan Tower all day. Went and used their gym. They had like a Gold's gym in there. It was amazing. Gave us great meals. And we just hung around and shot the shit with JR and such. When I finally got in to meet Vince, he was so unbelievably flattering. He said, I watch your stuff and something about you Canadian guys. You just get it. And I'm like, okay, cool. I, I, like, I like to say more things like that. Yeah. <laughs> He's uh, he said, you kind of remind me of a halfway point between Ted DiBiase and Mick Foley. 
I'm like, wow, that's so complimentary. Like it's yeah. a weird two to put They're together. Like two but so wow. different, but it's a compliment about two are so iconic as well. Exactly. Yeah. So I was pretty excited about that. But <laughs> this is one that kind of I thought was going to bite me in the ass. It turned out I bit in the ass differently. But I when I was doing those Winnipeg tours, we do the Indian reservations. And we'd done a tour. And uh Don Callis didn't want to go. He says he got sick. I think he just didn't want to go because they're hard. They're difficult tours. If yeah. a drive over frozen lakes and stuff. So we went on this tour and they said, Joe, do you mind working twice? Because Don's not here. We we need an extra body. They said, We'll put you under a mask, just go in the opening match, do the thing under a mask. You'll be Dr. X. So I was like, okay. You know, I was looking for the extra money and extra ring time. So I go through and do this match, and nobody cares. Like nobody believes Dr. X is gonna win anything. So it's hard to get the crowd behind anything. So the next day I pulled uh the goat, the the ring announcer. We called her the goat. I pulled her aside. I said, don't say I'm Dr. X. Say I'm from San Francisco General Hospital, Communicable Disease Ward, and call me the male nurse. And I went out there and I just camped it up. Yeah. I would take a, I, I, you know, lock up and then I play with the guy's hair and then I, you know, take a hip toss and I grab the leg, ref's leg and I hump his leg and roll out of the ring and sit on somebody's lap at ringside. Oh my God, this is the worst thing ever. Like I just really camped it up just to make, <laughs> bad, just to make Bad News Brown laugh, right? Bad News Allen. Because you don't see that guy laugh often, and, but yeah. I've made him openly laugh. But just the that's the achievement. Yeah. Really. <laughs> so I happened to mention that in a phone interview with uh, Kevin Kelly, because he called me up to say, "Hey, you know, we want to build a, we want to build your gimmick off of your real character. So, what can we do? What do you what have you done?" So I mentioned that in, in passing, and I didn't realize Ter- he was writing all this crap down. So when I met with Vince, he. Um, He's going through this paper in front of him. He goes, I see you uh, You did a gimmick called The Male Nurse. And I'm like, oh, dear God, no. He's called Window. Oh, dear. Oh, no. <laughs> he goes, says here you claim it made Goldust look butch. And I was like, I was making fun of it. Oh, God. Oh, God, no. Oh, no. He goes, puts the paper down, stares through my face. He goes, I never, ever want to see that. I'm like, thank God. <laughs> I thought you are going to make me a transsexual Nazi Eskimo or something. <laughs> this is not what I need in my life. And then we we bounced ideas around. I want I wanted to do a cult leader thing because yeah. cults freak me. Out. And he was like, "No, nah, no, nah, you know, I don't like doing that because you know we're not really we're kind of nonpartisan, non-religion." I'm like, I'm thinking, brother, love, ministry of darkness. Yeah. You know, not even that long ago. <laughs> yeah, like eventually, brother Devon, and uh, he wrestled God. Right. Somehow mine's gonna be offensive, right? But anyway, I didn't say anything because I want the job. And I said, Well, if we can't do that, then maybe I could just cut my hair real short. And because this is right at the tail end of the grunge era. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I should be basically pissing on, on your audience as far as you've all got tattoos and nose piercings and flannel. You should straighten up and get a real job. And you know, and I want to have a group called the Moral, Moral Majority. And he's like, ah, I don't see there being money in that. And then, of course, later on, right to censor. But anyways, I freaking keep pushing away, and I keep kind of beating the drum on the uh, the cult leader thing. And he's like, yeah, but it's just I don't like the religious thing. I'm like, right. I said, but I'm not saying I'm God. I'm just saying I'm a messenger. And he did a total, like, Mr. Big Man. He's like, the messenger. And he just kind of stares off into space. Oh, and, yes. Don't blame me. I'm just the messenger, right? I'm like, okay, he's biting. And then he's like, Bruce, see, so get legal to check if a messenger's 
if we can get copyright, blah, blah, blah. And then we kind of spitballed around it. Eventually it was going to be the idea would be that I'd be backstage and you see like, I don't know, Crash Holly. Crash Holly be backstage going, oh, God. Uh, and I'd just be kind of standing off. What's the matter, bud? Oh, I got to wrestle Taz. And Taz is going to suplex me on my brain and kill me and da-da-da. like, well, Taz is tough, but he's, you know, he's beatable if you have the right information. And I have the right information if you got the right money. And then the guy would grease me and I'd have like medical records saying he tore his bicep and then Crash would beat him by fucking up his arm. Yeah. And that was going to be my thing is I'd be the insider guy with all this insider information. And then somehow Vince had it plugged in where I was eventually going to be a member, like hooked up with the um, the Acolytes, the Acolyte Protection, Protection Agency. I'd kind of be the, 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 the brains of the team with the information and they'd be the thugs. And that's how it was supposed to be. But then by the time I got to TV, they gave uh, gave the whole project to this guy, Jamie, he's a writer, he's an idiot. And then he turned it into the, the god-awful mess it was. I have a soft spot for it, by the way, mate. Like, I, it's just, I grew up in that era. You're the one. For me. Okay. I'm the one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the one. Um, but no, I'm glad that you told me that story, how it was presented to you and the, the messenger vision. I actually do like the messenger idea. And then being linked with the APA, obviously they were hired for, you know, taking out wrestlers or whatever protection. Yeah. Um, but then it would go on to be where you basically you're just shit stirring. Did you backstage? Yeah. Have you heard this? Yeah. Doing this? And, um, I was the only guy in wrestling who would show up backstage every week in a different city and never want to wrestle. Apparently, I wasn't employed, like according to the storyline. Yeah. What did I do for a living? There was I a cameraman? Was I you know, a janitor? What the hell did I do? Nobody knew. Like, and I remember asking Gershwitz. Well. Was like, well, yeah, exactly. Well, I asked Gershwitz at one point. I go, am I lying or am I telling the truth backstage? He's like, what do you mean? I go, well... I'm stooging these things off to people. Am I lying about it or am I telling the truth? Because what difference does it make? I'm like, it makes all the difference. Like if I'm lying, there has to be a reason why I'm lying. To what means, to what end am, am I lying? I don't just go there and lie for the sake of fucking lying. But if I'm telling the truth, I'm actually a baby face trying to help people. It's a big difference on how I conduct myself. Right now, you don't have a reason for me to conduct myself either way. So if I don't know what I'm doing, why would the audience know what I'm doing? Yeah, nah, we'll figure it out. We never did. No, no, they I, used I, me. They used me to get the Hunter Kurt Angle thing off the ground because I was like, "Hey, Hunter, yes, Kurt's trying to fuck yes. wife, and he, Kurt, <laughs> Hunter, and Stephanie." They got me to start the angle off, and then you have to pull me out of it, or all the heat switches to me. So I get that. But then once they pulled me off of it, they didn't have anything else for me. It was still quite memorable. To be fair, mm-hmm. I mean, like yeah, segments like you said with Kurt Angle and Triple H, Austin. Being one of the uh, yeah, yeah. ones and like with uh, Test and Albert, that was it. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, and then uh, even memorable matches like Dean Malenko. I mean, that must have been quite fun. I know, like the, the gimmick itself wasn't really developed, but you're still going out there on WWE TV wrestling like Dean Malenko, Regal, Al Snow. Mm-hmm. You know, it bears yeah, um, as well. I, I was never, I never really got into the the Malenko matches just because. His style is very, this move leads to this move. Like, it's very much a dance. Like, there's no kind of room to plug your own heat in. Yeah. So, if you go out there, it's kind of like watching, um, you know, the first Goldberg-Lesnar uh, match? Oh, uh, yeah. The one Mania, and Steve Austin was the ref, and everybody shit on it. Yeah. And neither neither guy, like, they were both kind of doing what the agents told them. Neither guy had the experience yet of quarterback and anything to kind of be able to adjust. Like, if it had been Austin Rock, they just would have played around until they found something that worked with the audience and then run with it. Mm-hmm. At the time, 
Goldberg and Brock didn't have the experience to do that. They'd always just done what agents had told. So they just ran the program that they were given and it didn't work. And that kind of, that's kind of how I felt working with Milanko is just we're running Dean's, you know, Dean's the experience guy. I'll go with his program. We go with his program and I, like nobody expected me to do anything. Mm-hmm. Nobody expected me to freaking steal a win or anything because he was a name and I was a guy who didn't want to wrestle. Yeah. And somehow, so it didn't make sense to have me come in and start beating him. If you had no, you know, oh, shoot, it turns out this guy's got some, you know, like I've got four black belts in karate and kung fu. I can fight if I want to. But if they don't tell the audience that, why does the audience care? You know, so they didn't give the audience a reason to give a shit about me other than, oh, this guy's a bit of an asshole backstage. But in turn, all my heat was backstage, not in front of the crowd. Yeah, no, I completely understand that. I mean, cool moment stuff, but at the same time, we want to get invested as an audience, as yeah. wrestling fans. We just need a bit more development and just talk to yeah. us a little bit, you know, as opposed to just expecting us to get it straight away without any explanation. Like you said, the right's like, yeah, just Joe. But even then, watch Rock. Like, when they do a video wall, like the video, the Titan Tron comes up, Rock's on there, it mm-hmm. gets a pop. But the pop is 10 times greater when he comes out in front of the crowd. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing. If I don't though. <laughs> when all the heat's backstage, there's a certain amount of energy for the backstage. There's more energy when it's out in front of the crowd. But if all the heat they give me is backstage, how am I going to get anything in front of the crowd? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely understand that. But I just remember that the Titan Tron you had, and I think even Michael Cole mentions it on, I think it's heat. It's just like, oh, did, did he just do that himself or something? Just, yeah, it's, it's yeah. just so unique. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I was able to, uh, I did some tags with Gangrel and I got to come up through the ring of fire through the stage. Yes, that's pretty cool. I love that. It's my favorite ring entrance of all time. So to get to do that twice, I was I was playing my own mark card there. It's like, I'm coming up through the ring of fire, bitches. This is what I'm doing today. How was Gangrel, by the way? I know we spoke about like um, other wrestlers, but someone like him doesn't really get mentioned a lot. But, you know, I was a big wonderful. fan of him back in the day. Yeah, he's a wonderful guy. I toured all over uh, England with him many times. Yeah. Just yeah, you, you couldn't ask for a nicer guy, a more dedicated guy, just a great soul. You you couldn't ask for never a, a problem in the locker room, always willing to help the young guys out. Interesting, I mean, interesting character, but great look. Mm. And he bugs his eyes out. He's a spooky looking guy. The fact that they're real he just, the fangs. He used to have real fangs, but they got oh, knocked out so many times during wrestling that he now he wears gimmick ones. Oh. But he used to have real ones in it. <laughs> yeah. When him and Luna were together, yeah, years and yeah. years and years ago. Nah, that's that's pretty he's cool. A wonderful guy. Dave's fantastic. He's still going today. I bet she's close to sixty now. I think he's coming to um in England again. I think he's coming back here. I don't know where. I come. Well, I saw the advert, but I don't remember the location. But he's coming back to England this year. So that's... and he's like a real vampire because he doesn't age. The guy looks the same. I met him like thirty years ago. He looks exactly the same. Yeah, no, nah, he's 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 pretty awesome. Big fan of the gimmick. Um, just before I touch on Europe. You know, where you've been, sure. well, I said earlier, where you, in my opinion, have your best success. And I'm pretty sure you would agree. Um, yeah. but, you know, you, you establish yourself over here, um, you know, not just as an American wrestler, but you've become sort of one of us in a way. Um, you know, Germany. Well, you've been to the UK 141 times. Bloody hell. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of people are saying it just would have been cheaper if I moved there. <laughs> <laughs> um, just to sum up the WWE career. Sure. Say any highlights for you? Any personal highlights? If you look back on the run, just that you can smile about and say, "Yeah, that was actually pretty good. I enjoyed that." Even if it's nothing to do with on screen. Um, just some of the people I met. Like I'm still really good friends with Stevie Richards to this day. Yeah, 
and he's just a, a wonderful, wonderful human being. Um, like I say, the money was great. The travel was great. I got to, uh, I was going to buy a house in Florida at one point. So I flew down to Florida a lot and I love being in Florida and taking the mist to Florida, going to Disney world and stuff. Um, one thing it's, it's kind of been inadvertent, but I was, it, it, it is WWE reference it's because of WWE. I was out wrestling in Western Canada and, um, I had this thing. I had four championships at the time. I had one, a Japanese, Russian, South African, and French. So the promoter there was like, can you bring one of your belts for the tour? And I said, tell you what, I'll bring all four and we'll do a raffle. And every night we'll do a raffle. We'll pick four names, make sure it's kids who win. And the kids can carry the, my belts to the ring and then we'll give the money to the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Yeah. Right? Might as well do good with these things. Um, so we get there and the promoter, his name's Arda, a great guy. And I said, do you got those, do you got the raffle tickets? He goes, no, no, I couldn't get them. I'm getting them tomorrow. But uh, there's this guy here. He's in a wheelchair. And he's he's in, in kind of a messed up way. But would it be okay if he carried all four to the ring with you? I was like, yeah, absolutely. Of course. So I go to the merch stand before the show. I'm just sitting there shooting the breeze with people. And this guy's getting pushed up. And he's, he's, he's got like muscular issues. I'm not sure what the situation was. But he was really struggling with his muscles. And this girl wheels him up. And he says, oh, Joey Legend, um, you know, my name is blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, you're my lovely and talented assistant. Are you going to be my di my diva manager for the day? And uh, he goes, I just want to tell you something. I said, okay, sure, shoot. And he, he gets kind of quiet. He goes, um, a couple of years ago, um, I was, when I first, my condition first started, I knew it was going to get this bad. Yeah. So I decided I was going to end my own life. And I was like, oh, my God. Well, uh, glad you didn't. <laughs> I'm so glad you're here. Fire, God, yeah.